grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our series that we began last week of messages is called Eyes on Jesus. We'll be talking about that and uh, learning from Jesus' disciples and some of their mistakes uh, as they fail to keep their eyes on Jesus. Uh, but we'll worship and hear God's word and be blessed. Scripture lesson for tonight is the second part of the Passion History, the story of Jesus' suffering and death, as recorded by all four of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their words brought together into a single account. Part two is called Jesus' Agony of Soul in Gethsemane. After Jesus had said this, he was deeply troubled and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. The hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. His disciples were very sad. They stared at each other at a loss to know which of them he meant and began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. One after the other they began to say to him, Surely not our Lord. Jesus replied, It is one of the twelve. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. The disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, then God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. While they were eating, Jesus took bread on the night he was betrayed, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. They all drank from it. My little children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot. 
asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. When Jesus had finished praying and they had sung a hymn, he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove, a place called Gethsemane. Jesus and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. On reaching the place, Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He withdrew about a stone's throw, knelt down, and fell on the ground, and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours, be done. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you men not keep watch for me, with me for one hour? Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Returning to the disciples the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, 
and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of our Lord. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father, from his Son, our suffering Savior, who gave his all so that we could be spared and redeemed as we are, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, the, the theme of the series of messages that we're hearing this year in Lent on the Wednesdays is called Eyes on Jesus, and, and we're looking at the, the point of view, I guess, or the view of Jesus, what people saw or, or thought they saw in him, these various characters in the, the passion history, the Lenten story. But tonight's installment, which deals with the disciples of Jesus, maybe that title, Eyes on Jesus, is a, a little bit of a misnomer, a little bit misleading, because as you heard in our Passion history, the, the whole problem with the disciples that fateful night is that they did not have their eyes on Jesus. Instead, their eyes were closed. They were sleeping multiple times and had to be reawakened by Jesus during those moments of his fervent and anguished prayer in the garden. And yet we still want to ask the question, what can we learn from them and, and from their experience there in the garden? The word of God that we're focusing on is, is from Mark chapter 14, but really those verses I won't need to reread because you just heard me read them as, as part of the passion history, the story of, of Jesus praying there in Gethsemane. There are some times when you really, really want to fall asleep if you're like most of us. And at least some of the times you have one of those nights when you just can't, right? And, and you lie awake for hours. And then there's those other kinds of moments when you know you really, really need to stay awake. Probably the one you think about the most is when you're driving in your car pretty late at night, right? Somewhere, and you know you really don't dare fall asleep, but it's really, really hard to stay awake if it's getting real late. I don't know what time it was when the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. It probably was pretty late, given everything that had happened in the, the Last Supper. We heard part of that reading as well. And, and the Gospel of John has really multiple chapters of things that Jesus was teaching his disciples that night. They, they talked quite a while, so it was probably pretty late by the time they, they got there to the Mount of Olives. But I'm not trying to make excuses for the disciples for falling asleep, because they had to have known, they should have known, that this was no ordinary, restful kind of night. Jesus, as you heard, made it clear to them on multiple occasions in his words to them that, that this was the night that his suffering was to begin, and, and he had warned them about, about their falling away from him. And now you heard him say specifically, stay here and keep watch, as he left them there in the garden in, in a couple different groups while he went on ahead to pray. And, and this instruction to keep watch was both for, for their sake, and it was also for Jesus' sake. He, he surely wanted the, the support and the prayers of these close friends, these disciples of his, during these most crucial moments when the salvation of the world was at stake, he, he certainly wanted them also to pray for him. 
But really, Jesus, as always, is most of all thinking of them and of their souls. He was concerned about them. They were going to have their, their faith tested and their allegiance to Jesus sorely tested in, in those coming moments. They, they needed to pray for the strength to endure all that was going to happen to them. But alas, it was not to be. As you heard when Jesus went a little further into the garden and, and on his, his knees and on his hands praying in anguish to his heavenly Father that, that if there was any other way to save sinners that this dreadful cup of suffering might be, if possible, taken away from him. Peter, James, and John and the disciples did not imitate Jesus with prayers of their own. They went to sleep. As always, when it came to his saving and suffering work, Jesus was going to have to do that entirely by himself. And sad to say, their performance did not improve even when they were given a second chance after Jesus went back, as you heard, and woke them all up and, and rebuked them and said in particular to Peter, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And yet, when he went on and prayed to his father again and, and came back a second time to check on the disciples once again, they were sawing logs, they were sleeping again, and, and this time they were embarrassed enough that, that we're told they, they didn't even know what they should say to him. They had no excuse. The, the whole situation would be almost comical if the subject matter were not so serious. And maybe it would also be a, a little more comical if, if we were guilty of doing the very same thing. No, I'm not necessarily accusing you of having fallen asleep in church for that one hour. No, not necessarily. I, I don't know that for a fact. But, but all of us struggle with the very same thing that the disciples did, the, the same thing that the church of every age is going to struggle with, the challenge of continuing to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation, the challenge of a, a willing spirit but, but fighting against that fallen sinful flesh that tries to drag us back down again, the failure to recognize how often we really are in spiritual danger. I'll go back to the, the illustration of driving a car, because I, I think it really, in, in so many ways, fits the situation so well. And just ask yourself the question, when, when are you in danger when you are behind the wheel? And, and maybe even beyond that, when do you realize that you're in danger when you're driving? Is it when you're driving on the road in a, a snowstorm at night, as I hope to not be doing in about 45 minutes from now. Um, no, it, when you're in that situation, you're, you're probably not so much tempted to you know, start dozing off off the road, because you know this is a pretty dangerous, critical thing, and so you're, you're gripping the wheel, and you've got your eyes focused, and you're intent on exactly what you're doing. No, in some ways, it's actually 
worse on those other days when the sun is shining and the roads are, are nice and wide open and there's not a lot of traffic. And, and those are the times, right, when you're, you're tempted to start looking at your cell phone and admit it, right? It's true. But in the reality, when is the road dangerous? And the answer is, we really don't know. Do you, you don't know when the, the large furry mammal is going to come bounding out in front of you while you're driving. You don't know when some other driver is going to get distracted in their turn and, and drift across the center line into your lane or, or come pulling out right in front of you at a blind corner. And, and when it comes to falling asleep at the wheel, well, and it doesn't matter how many people or how many other cars are on the road, you can get into plenty of trouble all by yourself in that situation. Now, now take that comparison of driving and sort of transfer it and apply it again to your spiritual life. And ask yourself the question, when is it a good and safe time for you to take your eyes off of Jesus? Or again, to ask at that next level, when is it that you're at risk of doing so? And is it necessarily at a time of, of severe personal crisis? Is it at a time when the, the doctor's telling you that you've got some tricky surgery on the calendar only a couple of days or weeks away? Is it when you're dealing with, with grief or loss? Is it when there's some you know, really, really stressful time in your family's life or a big problem in a, a close personal relationship? Now, now, to be sure, there are temptations that go along with every one of those situations. And Satan is going to do what he can to use those to try to drag you away from God, uh, probably to try to convince you that, that God doesn't even love you at all, or else he wouldn't put you in that situation. But honestly, aren't we maybe more likely to be spiritually asleep at the wheel when things seem to us like they really aren't so difficult? When they, they feel like they're going just fine and we don't have any big problems and, and we, we maybe just get distracted from Jesus. When we're bored and have an open internet connection, maybe. Or when we're having a good time, maybe a, a little bit too good of a time. Or, or in any of these situations, those temptations of, of pride or greed or dishonesty or doubt, or, or any of these other temptations and the sins they lead to are lurking there when we're not thinking about our spiritual life, ready to leap out and grab hold of us and drag us off the path. Watch and pray, Jesus simply says, and, and he means always. There's no good time for you and me to be distant from Jesus. There's no safe part of our lives where it's okay for us to let our faith life slide a little bit because we don't even know and realize where the dangers and where the temptations are. And we don't know how long we have to be in this life in the first place. But Jesus, in spite of everything, was not deterred. In spite of how disappointed he must have felt that these disciples who he had 
handpicked and, and personally trained and, and taught for three years that, that they were failing to do anything to help or support him, even to, to spend some moments in prayer in spite of that disappointment. Jesus just goes on goes back and, and prays that third time to his heavenly father with, with every pair becoming more confident, becoming stronger in his commitment to do his father's will. And, and then when his time is complete, he, he simply goes back to the disciples and without any word of rebuke, he just says, all right, time's up. Let's go. He's here. Here comes my betrayer. As Judas is striding forward with the coins of his own downfall jingling in his pocket. Jesus didn't love his disciples any less for their failures. That's amazing. That's, that's divine grace and nothing less. And you know that in the end, those sleeping disciples did end up becoming bold and confident and faithful witnesses of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that their failure to keep watch and pray had no cost or no consequence. Those disciples all did, as Jesus had predicted, run away and abandon Jesus in his time of need there in the garden. Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus. And all of them had to spend those next hours and days in this this fear and dread and hopelessness of what was happening when, when maybe they might have understood if, if they had taken the time to, to ponder and ask God for wisdom, to understand the things that Jesus had been teaching them all along, they might have understood why this was happening. They might have even been able to, to spend those hours looking forward to the resurrection on the third day because Jesus had told them that numerous times, but, but instead... They had to spend those hours in, in hopelessness and despair. They all had to live the rest of their lives with the, the bitter memory of the day that they had abandoned Jesus. And as long as we mentioned Judas before, there's the ultimate reminder of what spiritual carelessness can cost you. Judas is still paying for that now. And he will forever. Jesus wanted to spare his disciples all of that. He wants to spare you from all of the, the hurts and consequences that spiritual carelessness brings into your life. He, he died to save you from the eternal consequences of those sins. But he doesn't intend to spare you from that daily struggle to keep watch and, and fight against temptation. No, he, he calls you to engage in that every single day. That night, there should have been no substitute for those disciples for time spent in sincere and personal prayer. Time spent thinking about and remembering and pondering the, the words that Jesus had been teaching them and, and asking their Heavenly Father for the, the wisdom to understand them and the strength to live by them. There was no substitute for that that night. And there's no substitute for that for you and me either. Take a look at your calendar. Take a look at your schedule. And, and finally, take a look at your own heart. And, and ask yourself, is taking time to hear and ponder and, and pray about the, the words that Jesus Christ has given to me in the Bible something that really is 
the priority in my life? Only you can answer that question for yourself. But now is no time for us to take our hands off the wheel, so to speak. Midnight was coming on the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was time to pray, and to pray urgently. And you might also say that in our lives, in the history of our age and our world, the hour, friends, is getting late. Darkness is falling. And there are evil forces on the prowl seeking to attack and pluck off the spiritually careless and unwary, and tragically, sometimes they are succeeding. Midnight is not far off, and as it was that night in the garden, someone is coming. Only this time it's not Judas with the band of Roman soldiers, it's the Lord of glory himself come to judge the world he made. This is no time for spiritual slumber. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And be thankful that in his most crucial hour, he didn't sleep. He never failed or faltered. Put your trust in his cross and ask him daily for the strength to endure and the wisdom to understand. And in his love, he will never fail to hear you and answer you. For his name's sake, amen. The peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in that one true faith in Jesus, your only Savior. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.